Warning, the following program is solely intended for a mature audience. Any of the idiotic opinions and views expressed on this show are solely opinions of Dark Cringe Radio and not of its advertisers, which is completely pointless because this poorly produced, dumbass podcast has no advertisers. Furthermore, any rebroadcast or redistribution of Dark Friend Radio podcasts without per- the permission is strictly prohibited. If you do, we will find you. And then we will send three black-eyed children to your home or office to collect your soul. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Dark French Radio. I'm your host, Will Martinez, here with you two guys tonight. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. And uh, we got a great one for you tonight. We actually got a guest, Robert Sullivan, on with us tonight. And he's going to be talking about his books that he's written, Cinema Symbolism, and how there's uh, hidden meanings and symbols in these films that we watch and how he points them out. Very interesting stuff, so we'll get into all that here in a minute. Again, I want to direct everybody to our social media again, at Dark Fringe Radio on SoundCloud and also on Twitter. And um, also our website, darkfringeradio.wordpress.com. Of course, don't forget, uh, you can catch all our episodes as well on iTunes. So for our, all you uh, iPhone, iPad users out there, um, you know, just uh, go to uh, the uh, iTunes store and uh, look up Dark Fringe Radio. Give us a five-star rating. Also, subscribe. So that way, uh, every Wednesday night that a new episode comes out, uh, you're notified immediately. And uh, if you so choose to do so, you can have the uh, episode downloaded onto your device um, automatically. So it's a great way to um, you know stay in contact with us and, and, and keep up to date with all the newest uh, podcasts we're doing. And unfortunately, Jay wasn't able to uh, join us for this interview because of some time differences and also scheduling. So uh, I'm sure he'll be able to get on to the next um, interview, but and uh, he'll definitely be on next week as well. So we'll be getting into here uh, the uh, interview with Robert Sullivan. And I, I want to uh, let everybody know that, you know, this guy was a great guest. And um, if you can go to his website, robertsullivaniv.com. Uh, that's Robert Sullivan IV, like uh, the letter I and the letter V, like I for Igor V Victor uh, dot com. And uh, you can uh, take take a look at his website and it has all his information on there. Uh, but I, I think after this interview, you're going to definitely want to check that out. So, again, without any further ado, uh, here is the interview with Mr. Robert Sullivan.
Ladies and gentlemen, throughout history, movies have always contained hidden messages and symbolism. And now more than ever, these movies have steadily increased this practice. From The Matrix to the X-Men movies, there seems to be a hidden narrative beneath its outer layer. Now, whether it's done intentionally or not, uh, there's one person who can break down these codes and the uh, messages left behind. Robert Sullivan is a 32nd degree Scottish Rite Freemason. His book, The Royal Ark of Enoch, The Impact of Masonic Ritual, Philosophy and Symbolism, was his first published work being the product of a 20-year research project. In 2014, Sullivan published his second book, Cinema Symbolism, A Guide to Esoteric Imagery in Popular Movies, which was republished in 2017. His third book, Cinema Symbolism 2, More Esoteric Imagery from Popular Movies, was also published this year in 2017. And currently, he is preparing to publish his first work of fiction, A Pact with the Devil, as well as another book on masonry entitled Freemasonry and the Path to Babylon. Rob has also began outlining Cinema Symbolism 3. Please welcome to Dark Fringe Radio, the Freemason that has lifted the veil on esoteric signs and symbolism of cinema, Mr. Robert Sullivan. Mr. Sullivan, thanks so much for joining in here at Dark Fringe Radio. Hey, Will. Thanks for having me on Dark Fringe Radio. It's my pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me on. It's uh, it's great to be here with you tonight. Well, thank you so much, and uh, I do appreciate you coming on. And you're actually the first Freemason I've actually had on my show, so I, uh, I'm i very, very honored. I do appreciate that. Oh, no problem. And uh, sure, uh, you know, no, no problem whatsoever. Wonderful. So listen, you know, we've seen so many of these popular movies, um, and there are so many hidden messages and symbolism that are, you know, that's contained in them that we just may not notice. You know, we just look at a movie and we just say, oh, that was a great movie. Now, you know, the special effects were great, but a lot of us do that. But some of us actually kind of take a look at these movies and try to figure out what was the meaning behind some of these things. And, you know, I'm a movie lover ever since I was a kid. And I, and I think I can recall the first time I think I've ever saw something in a movie that actually made me think for, for a second, there might be a message in this. And let me give you an example and what I'm talking about here, Robert, and I'm, I'm going to get into a point. There was a movie I saw as a kid called Conan the Barbarian when I saw. And there was a scene where Conan is crucified on the Tree of Woe. And there's the shot that they did with the camera. And they took a close-up of Conan, which is played by, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it looked like the exact Western depiction of Jesus Christ. I mean, was I right on that assumption? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there is, you know, one of the powerful archetypes that Hollywood uses is the Christ figure uh, and Conan the Barbarian, that symbolism where he's crucified on the tree of woe. I mean, he's clearly drawing from that. Um, that one is a little more obvious. Um, there are some other ones that are much more well hidden. But um, no, I, I don't dispute what you saw at all. Uh, in fact, it's something I actually talk about in the first movie book. Oh, that, yeah, that's 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 quite interesting. Yeah, I, I could remember seeing that as a kid and saying to myself, you know, that actually looks like, you know, the picture that my aunt has, you know, in her living room. <laughs> and I'm like, that looks just like Arnold Schwarzenegger in that movie. Why, you know, why would they, you know, there's a reason why they put these things in these movies. And I think as a young kid, I started to see these things, you know, little by little. But um, one thing um, I think... I'm correct by saying that there's a lot of these different messages and symbols in these movies, but they come from various different um, esoteric teachings, not just from one section. They come from all different uh, avenues. Is that correct? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that statement. Uh, you know, there are, there are different themes. They can overlap um, and they can, you know, 
they can cross over with each other. But yeah, absolutely. You, you deal with themes of Christianity, uh, certainly. Um, you know, you, you get into, uh, you know, the, the, the Joseph Campbell monomyth, comparative mythology, uh, that is readily used. Uh, Gnosticism, that's an ancient theology that is drawn upon constantly uh, in movies such as The Matrix or The Truman Show or Fight Club. Uh, you have archetypes uh, coming out of the collective unconscious of, you know, the philosophers such as Plato and Carl Jung, uh, archetypal imagery, archetypal characters uh, based on, uh, you know, different modalities, astrology, uh, Kabbalah. Uh, th th this is all utilized by Hollywood. Uh, Freemasonry uh, symbolism, numbers can be used to convey hidden meanings um, or double meanings. Uh, this is all, it, it is an endless treasure trove. Uh, that that Alchemy is another uh, popular one. Uh, these are all popular, you know, th these esoteric teachings are very popular. Hollywood uses them. They know how to use them. They know when to use them and when not to use them. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, it, it's really a deep study. And for me, it was really a part of what, what when I was doing the books, the one thing that was really critical to me in my research was finding the proper context of what um, the movie was trying to tell me esoterically, assuming it was even at all. Um, I should point out that not all movies contain esoteric imagery. And if a movie is devoid of it, it doesn't necessarily make it a bad movie. But yeah, I mean, you know, what one thing in one movie could have another meaning in another movie, depending on what how the context of how it's presented. So yeah, it's 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 definitely Hollywood draws from a lot of ancient esoteric teachings, um, and you know I, th I think that's completely irrefutable. I would uh, agree with that one hundred percent. I think that really for me, and at least my research is breaking down the proper context. And once that's done, for for me at any rate, then the the you know decoding of the film uh, for me at any rate becomes much more easier, and I can I, I have a much more greater concept. Or, or understanding of what I should be looking for in the film. Yeah, that's an interesting take. And uh, another thing that I kind of wanted to uh, touch on as well was um, that you know I, I you know, a lot of people talk about the music industry and you know the parallel you know the parallelization between the music industry and Hollywood. You know, there's it's a very fine line, obviously. And a lot of times people talk about how the music industry does certain things for you know as far as rituals for their music to ensure that their music is um, you know tuned at a higher frequency and a lot of people enjoy it. Are they doing this in Hollywood as well to maybe ensuring the success of some of these movies? Because a lot of these movies that we're talking about are highly successful films. I mean, for instance, The Matrix you touched on. I mean, that franchise alone was a highly you know lucrative um, you know franchise that garnered a lot of uh, income for the um, you know the movie industry. You know, those actors, the studio, you know, what have you. But do you think they do this on on purpose to maybe kind of ensure the success of these films? Well, I think I think the imagery is is the esoteric imagery is placed in the film. Um, I, I mean, I, I think they want it to be successful. Um, certainly, not all films that have esoteric imagery are are necessarily uh, profitable. Um, I think uh, Hollywood views it as a lot. Uh, you know, is is reinventing mythology, um, and I think that in doing so, a lot of these esoteric themes, um, you know, turn up in film intentionally. This is not surprising. I mean, you can find this in literature. You'll find this in the works of William Shakespeare. Uh, you'll find it in the works of Mozart. You'll find it in Richard Wagner. I mean, this goes back a long time, predating Hollywood. Um, the use of the occult, 
um, you know, in the entertainment industry, you know, whether it's William Shakespeare, I mean, you know, or, you know, Mozart, um, you will find it, you know, throughout history. But, you know, you will also find it in Hollywood. But yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I think, I mean, one of the reasons I think they do it is, you know, perhaps money making. I wouldn't dismiss that. Um, I think mythology making, I think uh, it, it adds another level and layer to the movie. I think a lot of filmmakers, especially when you're dealing with people like Stanley Kubrick and Darren Aronofsky, I, I think they view it as a challenge. Uh, it's, it's almost like, a you know, an invitation to try to decode their movie on, on a different level to see if you can find out what they've hidden. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely there. Um, I, I think in some instances it could be accidental. Um, I talk about that as well in the books, but I make no mistake about it. If I wouldn't have written the two books and be writing a third one if I thought it was all accidental. I do believe this is intentionally done. I've seen too, much, too many examples of it that it's well beyond a coincidence. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think their motivations are multi, um, and I think they are very adroit at what they do. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Now, you, we touched on the Matrix movie, and uh, you know we referenced that a couple times. You know, you said that um, there was a bit of uh, Gnosticism and numerology involved in that film. Could you explain to our listeners what exactly you mean in that instance? Right, right, sure. Um, this is a deep study. The Matrix is, is a very is probably the premier Gnostic film uh, of them all. Um, if you ask me to list uh, like a list of like five Gnostic films, uh, the Matrix, the first Matrix would be at the top of the list. Um, I mean, from a not from you know, th this is your Valentinian cosmology uh, is really the first Matrix. I mean, you have everything in it that you're looking for. Um, the, the main Gnostic tenet is the false reality um, that you know that there's a higher level of consciousness that materialism and consumerism should be rejected in favor of spiritual gnosis. Um, think the Truman Show would be another one of these. Um, you have the creator of the, you know, the, the, the false reality is manipulated by this lesser God figure known as the Demiurge. Uh, in the Matrix, this turns up as the architect, great name to give to him. And he is assisted by a host of lesser Demiurges known as Archons. Um, and they enforce his will and make sure everything runs, although they run everything imperfectly. Uh, this would, of course, be the agents uh, in, in the Matrix. Um, I mean, clearly you have you know, in, in the Valentinian uh, scheme, in the Valentinian theology, that there were three major Gnostic uh, fountainheads of thought, Valentinius, Mani, and Basilidus. Uh, Basilidus is very complex. Mani, Manichaeanism is light versus darkness, good versus evil. Uh, and Valentinius is probably the one that most people are probably aware of, although they probably don't associate with the, they don't know it as Valentinianism. Um, this is the whole idea of the false reality, the rejection of consumerism, the rejection of materialism, the pursuit of esoteric knowledge or truth, um, you know, and in rejection, in rejection of materialism, you know, we think of uh, uh, things like Fight Club, where, where they live in squalor. And of course, this is what, what the case is in, in the Matrix movie where they live in, you know, and when they get to the real world, it's at the dump. I mean, they live in this cramped, you know, spaceship. Uh, there's no luxury. There's nothing. Um, so, again, this is all, all coming out of the works of and philosophies of Valentinus. Um, we have the, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the Valentinian uh, co cosmological scheme, we have mankind in a state of stasis living in the false reality. So we have a, a illuminator figure uh, who comes along, the, the liberator. Uh, think of it, you know, in, in the Valentinian scheme, this was Jesus Christ. Uh, but he would be more viewed as allegorical than quite literal. This was the uh, awakener figure. And, of course, in the Matrix movie, this is Neo, uh, played by Keanu Reeves. 
And I mean, you you will find Christ imagery all, all around him. I mean, we have the um, you know w- when he gets brought up into the light, uh, you know, on board the Nebuchadnezzar, he's brought up cruciform. Uh, we have uh, at the you know at the end he's killed and resurrected. He ascends into the heavens at the end of the movie, like Jesus. Um, also, very critical to this is the introduction of the sacred feminine um, in Gnosticism. This is called Sophia, and uh, she is sort of this female rebel figure. And of course, in the Gnostic Trinity, she, she's part of that. And of course, this is exactly what is in the Matrix. Her name is actually Trinity. I mean, very, very apropos, very, very religious. Um, so we have the Neo Anderson character as Jesus. I mean, even, even the one part where he's at the door, um, the guy even says to him, hey, you're my own personal Jesus Christ. We have him going up into the light. I mean, we have um, the, one, the one number in, in, in 9-11 that is great. Um, excuse me, in the Matrix, and we have a hidden 9-11 reference, but we have when Neo gets on board the Nebuchadnezzar ship, um, you will see, uh, and it's flashed very quickly, you'll see the plate, um, the, the identification plate of the, of the ship, and it says, I think, Mark 311, um, which is about Bible verse. Um, and, and that, I believe, I'm just summarizing here, it's something is, thou art the son of man, and you will defeat all the dark evils and, you know, demons of the world. And of course, this is, again, investing Neo as this Christ savior figure, this uh, liberator figure. Um, very interesting play on numbers with, 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 with Neo on that one. Um, when he's being interrogated by Smith, we see his passport. Um, this has lots of imagery and esoteric imagery in it. We have the expiration date of September 11th, 2001. Um, and this is by far and probably away the, the most shocking of all the pre-9-11 references uh, in film because it's close to the actual event. And again, it, has to, it fits in the context of the movie of the idea of the ending of the false world, the starting of a new one. Uh, and, you know, you could possibly tie that into the actual event of 9-11 with you know, the idea of the procession of the equinoxes, the end of one age, the beginning of another. Uh, but then we also had this, again, this dualistic play. If you look at his, at his uh, passport as well, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm, I'm summarizing, I can't remember the exact date, but it's around, I believe it's September 12th, um, 1971. And that date also has meaning. Uh, and that is the date. And it's, it's either the 13th, the 11th, or the 10th. I, I'm, I'm forgetting, but whatever it is, um, it's actually the date when um, the Attica prison riots were suppressed by the Rockefeller, uh, by the governor Rockefeller in New York. So it's dualistic. Um, it's opposite. It's the union of opposites, which is, again, is an, another Gnostic doctrine where we have Neo, the liberator of mankind, being born on the date that mankind is being suppressed. So we have the guy who's going to liberate mankind from his prison being born on the date that the prison riot is being suppressed. So we have this very dualistic play with the birth date of Neo as well. So yeah, the, the Matrix movie, if, if you ask me to list, you know, like four or five Gnostic films, uh, the Matrix would be at the top of the list. Um, I mean, you know, like I said, from a Valentinian, you know, standpoint, I mean, we have the whole idea of Sophia, the sacred feminine, we have the false reality, I mean, we have the Demiurge, we have the Archons, we have the Christ figure, um, we have mankind in stasis in need of liberation. Um, this is all the, the theologies of Valentinius. And uh, yeah, there it is right there on screen for everyone to see in, in the first Matrix film. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And, you know, I started reading some of that in, in your book and I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I, I can't believe I never saw that before. Maybe I did and maybe I just ignored it. But you, when you, you know, you outlined it the way you did, it just made perfect sense. Now, um, Getting away from the the Gnosticism um, and maybe the numerology, but I, I wanted to talk about some of the occult and monolithic um, type of um, uh, movies that 
have you know that that type sure. of meaning inside of it. Um, and I wanted to bring up a, a big franchise saga, the, the Star Wars franchise. Of Obviously, course. you know that's everybody's favorite. Everybody, uh, you know, from kids to adults, everybody loves that. I was reading some of the stuff that you were writing about that, and I found that was quite interesting. Could you share that with our listeners as well? Of course, Will. Um, The Star Wars movie, this was one of the movies. I mean, I I was born in 1971, so I grew up on Star Wars, Um, you know, quite quite literally. I mean, you know, episodes four, five, and six were a big part of my youth. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had the toys. I mean, I had, you know, the the, the little Death Star, the faction (laughs) figures. I mean, I had all that stuff. And... uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was probably in the mid '80s. I was still a teenager, but I remember hearing um, in an interview that that Lucas was talking, and he said, "Well, I based this movie on the, the works of a man named Joseph Campbell," and this always stuck in my head. He said it was a book called "The Hero with a Thousand Faces," and this stuck with me. And this was one of my motivations for writing the book. Um, I eventually, of course, got the Campbell book, um, and it's a great book. I would highly recommend it. And the book is called just that, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And the hero that Campbell was talking about, it's the study of comparative religion where it's this solar, what I would call savior-like figure. Uh, this light, you know, this, this hero of light uh, who is doing battle with darkness. And if, if you read the Campbell book, uh, it's really a study in comparative mythology. And he, he goes into these ancient myths, whether it be, you know, the Greeks or the Romans or Scandinavia or Egyptian uh, Persian, and it's these mythological studies where, you know, the hero, you know, it, it's it's uh, the same template. You know, the hero gets invited on this quest. He doesn't want to go. You know, he gets egged into going. He finally agrees. He meets some old hermit who gives him a magical relic. Uh, you know, he meets friends who help him along the way. There's always this dark, evil overlord that he has to, you know, do battle with. I mean, you know, you almost think of the Christ story as well. You know, Jesus going battle, you know, God versus the devil, Things like that. So um, when you read the book, I mean, and you see the Star Wars films, especially four, five and six. And when you actually hear Lucas saying, oh, yeah, this was the template, um, you know, it, it really becomes clear when, when you apply the monomyth, you know, or the hero's journey. This is what Campbell called it uh, to Star Wars. I mean, you have the Luke Skywalker. So, I mean, we'll go get into this a little bit. Uh, so we have the Luke Skywalker figure. This is the, you know, the, the light figure, the hero. I mean, the name Luke. Uh, comes from the Latin lux, meaning light. I mean, what light walks across the sky, the sun. So we have him as the solar, you know, Apollo Horus figure uh, uh, in mythology. Again, we're doing comparative mythology. Apollo, the sun god, had a sister, uh, the moon, Diana, Luna. Um, and of course, in Star Wars, we have Princess Leia, the, the the sister who wears what else? The white robes of the moon. Um, and of course, you know, well, if we have the light figure, the sun figure, who's his arch enemy? Well, the darkness. Um, so we have the Sith Lords, uh, Darth Vader, the Emperor. Um, in Egyptian mythology, uh, the, the, the dark figure was known as Seth. Um, uh, so we have the Sith in Star Wars. Um, and, you know, we, we have you know, the Hermit, uh, the Hermit figure, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, who gives Luke the lightsaber. Uh, Kenobi eventually dies, of course, and his mantle is picked up by Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, so we have this entire, you know, monomythic thing of the hero being plucked out of the what I would call the doldrums of everyday society, going on this grandiose uh, adventure and ultimately saving the universe, uh, you know, from the dark evil overlord. Um, we find this theme, this monomyth, this hero's journey. Um, we, you know, we find it in other, other films as well. Make no mistake about it. Uh, we, we find it in the matrix. Um, you know, we have, you know, you'll find the elements of this in the matrix, 
Uh, we have, uh, you know, we, we've talked earlier in the show about the stuff overlapping. Um, just because a movie is Gnostic doesn't mean it can't incorporate the hero's journey as well. We have Neo being drawn from the doldrums to go do battle with the dark evil machines. Um, you know, we have the supernatural aid. We have the Hermes, you know, the hermit figure, the wizard figure, Morpheus. Um, we turn to the works of J.R.R. Tolkien with uh, the Lord of the Rings. Uh, same, same thing. We have Frodo Baggins being plucked from the Shire to do battle with a dark evil overlord, you know, Sauron uh, in, in uh, Mordor. Um, we turn to the Harry Potter uh, films and, and stories. S same, same, you know, premise. Uh, we have the young boy being plucked from, you know, underneath the staircase to, you know, go on this magical wizarding adventure, um, you know, to do battle with the dark, you know, evil overlord, you know, of Slytherin House, uh, you know, Tom Riddle, Voldemort. Um, so yeah, th this is this is something that Hollywood really likes to play around with. Um, it's proven to be successful. Um, I talk about it in pretty much all my book. Well, the, the Sonic book aside, I talk about it in the two movie books um, because it really these elements really are critical and they do turn up. Um, you know, and you'll find them in in, in those movies. Um, the one figure that's really popular that comes out of this is is what you know what I call the you know the the wizard figure, the wizard archetype. Um, I, I, I'm apt to call him the, the Hermes Trismegistus figure, you know, and, and they even look alike. Um, I mean, this is the old hermit character, the old gray beard who has all the wisdom, but only doles it out piecemeal. So, I mean, we're talking Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, Gandalf the Gray, uh, you know, uh, uh, who's the other one? Uh, Albus Dumbledore. Yes. Um, you know, they even look alike. I mean, it's the old gray beard figure. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the, the Campbell comparative religion study, the monomyth, um, th this is very critical in analyzing these movies because this is very powerful. Um, this is what you know what I, I suggest in the book, and, and even Campbell talked about this in the book. Is he he believed that the the the, the adventure, the monomyth, was archetypal. He believed this was all part of the collective unconscious. I, I agree with him. Um, you know, and and I I I I, I have no problem you know, falling in line with that. Um, so yeah, I mean, th this is something that, you know, when you come to understand it and you watch these, you know, huge Hollywood blockbusters such as, you know, star Wars or, you know, the matrix or Lord of the Rings, um, you will be able to see this. Um, and, and it is amazing, um, how often it repeats itself over and over again. The, the, the one I'll end the question on this, um, the one, the one that was really in cinema symbolism too, um, the, the one in cinema symbolism one, the first book I took on the, the Lord of the Rings with Tolkien, I was originally planning on doing the CS Lewis Narnia stories, but it would have gone on forever. It would have taken too long. So when I did cinema symbolism two, I did, uh, the, the, the Narnia and then the monomyth again, and, and, and those is omnipresent and it, it's really, it's really startling how much they repeat, um, you know, I mean, it's almost like you're watching the same, reading the same story almost over and over, just, you know, with different characters and different character names. Yeah, especially it's an interesting stuff. Yeah, especially in Narnia. I mean, I remember seeing that movie and I was like, man, this is like Christ. This is like the whole biblical story right here laid out for oh, you under one right there. I mean, you know, it was right there. Yeah, well, the, 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 the author of the Chronicle of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, was a Christian apologist. And, and absolutely. Um, I mean, when you watch the first one, um, you know, I mean, I mean, this this is no state secret. I mean, the Aslan, there is some esoteric imagery with it. I mean, you clearly has Aslan as the Christ figure. Um, I mean, but it's interesting because you have, you know, this is all Neoplatonism. This is another ancient theology. Um, and, you know, Neoplatonism was 
you know, and you'll find this, you know, this mysterion surrounding Christianity with solar allegory, astrology, where Jesus is the sun, S-U-N, you have the 12 apostles, the 12 houses of the zodiac. So we have in the Chronicle of Narnias, we have Leo, the lion, uh, the sun god, you know, is Aslan. Leo is ruled by the sun doing battle with perpetual winter. What's the, you know, you know, again, this is Manichaeanism, light versus darkness. You know, Narnia is in perpetual darkness, winter, until Aslan comes back. Um, you know, then, you know, it's basically the, the, the falling out at the vernal equinox. And then, of course, this is when Aslan is killed and resurrected. Um, and, of course, this is when, um, you know, the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus is celebrated, the vernal equinox, um, the Jewish Passover, same thing. Uh, so, yeah, we have this uh, Neoplatonic study, um, you know, with, with that as well, you know, light versus dark. Um, you know, Jesus versus the darkness, the, you know, the sun versus winter. Um, if you want to see this played out again, uh, you, you look at the Harry Potter uh, stories and we have Harry Potter, you know, as again, as the Christ figure, um, you know, who is again killed and resurrected doing battle with a dark, dark evil overlord. Um, Harry is put into the Gryffindor house. What's the symbol for Gryffindor? It's the lion. Again, it's Leo the lion, the sun. Um, investing uh, Harry as the sun god, as the Christ savior figure. Slytherin House is, of course, the serpent, you know, ta-da, the devil. Um, so again, we have this, you know, what you would call Manichaean, Zoroastrian, light versus dark, good versus evil struggle um, going on. Um, it's right there on screen. Um, it goes by everybody, if, unless you really are trained to look for it. Um, I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back when I was writing the Royal Arch of Enoch. Um, as you jointly pointed out in the in the introduction, that was a 20 year project. And what these books were born out of was after I, I completed Royal Arch of Enoch, I really turned that 20 years on Hollywood and started applying this 20 years of researching symbolism, the occult, esoteric imagery, mythology, Freemasonry um, onto Hollywood. And, and out came the two movie books. Um, and uh, a third book is on the way. It's still a little while off. Um, but, you know, and, and as you pointed out, my uh, first work of fiction also comes out. That actually, I know this is a pre-record. That actually comes out December 5th, so that'll be available tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, l lots going on. Yeah, I wanted to actually touch on that uh, work of fiction that sure. you're working on. Um, I thought that was actually quite interesting because you actually are taking a, a, a break from what you're normally doing and actually doing a work of fiction. Can you give us a little bit uh, more information regarding that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the book, um, uh, I know this is a pre-recorded interview. The book comes out tomorrow, which is December 5th, um, is when the book is, is released. That's the print edition. The ebook is still probably two, three weeks away. Um, yeah, this is a work of fiction. It's called A Pact with the Devil. And um, this has a fascinating, you know, well, at least I think it's a fascinating story behind it. Um, I had never really planned on writing a work of fiction. Um, this was not something I had ever really intended. What happened was, um, the Royal Arch of Enoch was originally published in 2012 in August. Uh, the book um, has subsequently, as, long, as well as the first cinema book, they've both been republished by me. Um, a year ago, I found in my own publishing house uh, called Deadwood Publishing, and uh, I republished Royal Arch of Enoch as a second edition. I republished Cinema Symbolism as a second edition. Um, and of course, I put out Cinema Symbolism 2 under this publishing house. And A Pact with the Devil also comes out under Deadwood Publishing. Um, when I, when, when, when um, Royal Arch originally came out in 2012, I started immediately writing Cinema Symbolism. This was the first cinema book. 
And um, in April of 13, I was I was writing Cinema Symbolism, the first one. And I don't know, I was probably around 40, 50 percent through it. I, I can't really recall at this point. Um, but around in April, in mid-April, I had this dream. Um, and when I fall asleep at night, when I when I say dream, I quite mean that literally. I was sound asleep, and I usually don't dream at night. Um, they say you dream, but you can't remember them when you wake up. Well, this night I had this very lucid dream, um, and it was very complex. It was very uh, specific. Um, it was this entire story that was told to me, um, or I don't know how you want to say it, or just I dreamt this entire story. I mean, I had character names. I had dialogue. Um, and I remember waking up right around 6, 6.30 in the morning, and I went immediately to my desk. And I, I, I literally stood there, Will, um, making probably around four or five pages of notes on this very uh, dream, this very interesting dream that I had. Um, and I remember I, I crawled back into bed, and I woke up a little while later, and I remember looking at the notes, and I just was really, I really liked the story. I liked the characters, and I just started writing it. Um, I started outlining it, and I started writing it on the side of cinema symbolism. It was just sort of a side project. And, and this continued on. Um, when I, when I, then, of course, Cinema Symbolism came out in 14. And at that point, um, I started writing Cinema Symbolism 2. Um, and I continued writing uh, Patch with the Devil on the side. Um, I reached a point, and I think it was probably around, uh, I, I can't remember when it was, but I, I, I stopped writing Patch with the Devil. I put it down. I, I wanted to concentrate on finishing Cinema Symbolism 2, which I did. Um, unfortunately, um, in, 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 in the end of the summer of 16, um, for, for various reasons, which I'm just going to keep to myself. I ended my business relationship with the company that I was using to distribute my books. I founded my own publishing company. Um, so this, mean I had, this meant I had to reformat Royal Arch. I had to reformat Cinema Symbolism. Um, and this, this kind of slowed everything down for around six to eight months. Make a long story short, Royal Arch was republished. Cinema Symbolism was republished. Cinema Symbolism 2 was published in, in, excuse me, in April of this year. When I got done Cinema Symbolism 2, I immediately went back to writing uh, Pact with the Devil, um, and, and uh, I got it done, and uh, that comes out on December 5th of 2017. It was a work of fiction, and um, I'm, real, I'm, I'm just really happy with the way it came out. It takes place. I'm not gonna, I don't want to give the whole story away, but the whole story was dreamt by me, uh, and it takes place in modern-day London, uh, and it has to do with a witch's coven. Um, and it involves a conspiracy, the Freemasons get involved, the Illuminati gets involved. It has elements of comedy in it. It has erotica in it. Um, it's, it, 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 it's different. I, I, could not, I couldn't think of anything that was quite like it. And um, like I said, I'm, I'm real pleased with the way it came out, and we'll see what happens with it. That comes out on December 5th of 17. So, yeah, um, I've already started uh, outlining a sequel to it. I've actually also started outlining a prequel to it. I'm doing Cinema Symbolism 3. I'm doing another book on Freemasonry. And I've been recently, I'm, I'm actually writing a fifth book um, I've begun outlining. But unfortunately, I'm under a non-disclosure agreement. I can't quite talk about that one yet. But um, this is really interesting as well. So a lot going on. No, that's great. I mean, I'm really interested in this uh, fiction novel that you have coming out, and uh, I'll be definitely waiting for that to come out. Um, I, this will air actually on December the 6th, so when you guys hear this, um, this will already be out the day before. So make sure uh, to all my listeners, if you have a chance to check out uh, Mr. Sullivan's book, please check that out. And that's a pack with the devil. Could you give us a little bit of an update? I know the print comes out on December the 5th. Um, when does the sure. e- ebook information, all that come out? 
Right. The, the print edition will be available on December 5th. Uh, uh, that'll be, you know, we can get just the paperback copy. This will be on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. All the major online retailers will have it on December uh, 5th. The ebook, uh, the Kindle, the Barnes & Noble Nook, um, that will probably be available in two to three weeks. Um, that takes a little longer to format. Um, so that'll probably be at like right around Christmas time, I would think. Um, but the, the, the print copy, um, you will be able to purchase on, uh, you should be able to purchase on December 5th, uh, which is Tuesday. Uh, the ebook, the Kindle, uh, the Nook, those are probably still, well, I know they're still two, three weeks away, but the actual print edition will be out, uh, on December 5th. Wonderful. Uh, Robert, one other thing before, um, you know, I move on to the next, um, I wanted to really touch on a little bit of the spaghetti Western thing. We know when I was a kid, I could remember watching Westerns with my father growing up watching Clint Eastwood and all those movies that he did and all the movies that he started. In. There was immediately, you know, an interest when you started, you know, talking about that for, on my side, because it just brought up a lot of memories of my childhood um, and you gave your take on those films. Can you give me, uh, could you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the, the spaghetti Westerns of Sergio Leone, I, I should point out when I was growing up in 19, I was born in 1971. So I grew up in the seventies here in Baltimore. Um, and this was pre cable TV. And when I was a kid, the, the one thing that I was really hooked on was the universal horror movies of like Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi. And it wasn't until, I don't know, I was like five, six, seven years old. I finally was introduced to the spaghetti westerns of Sergio Leone. And the, the, the one that I really fell in love with was The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. That's probably the best one of the three. Classic. Um, it, oh, absolutely. I mean, classic film. Just one of my all-time favorites. To this day, it's probably in my top three films. Um, but, of course, he did two others, the Dollars Trilogy. The first one um, is uh, A Fistful of Dollars, then for a few dollars more. And then the third one is a, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Um, and Leone is, um, was a Roman Catholic. Um, and he invests the, – the best way for me to describe this, I, I say that the, the three dollars trilogies are akin to almost uh, Christian Kabbalah. Um, you really have um, this overload of Roman Catholic um, esoteric symbolism in, in those three movies. He, 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 he goes all in on the first one, and he tapers off in the second one a little bit. But, and then the good, the bad, and the ugly, that's the one where he really perfects it. Um, and it's, again, it, it, it has to do with biblical imagery. It has to do with the Clint Eastwood character being the Christ figure, the Christ savior, uh, the redeemer of the West, almost, as it were. You know, the blonde hair, blue eyed uh, Jesus figure. Uh, uh, I mean, in, in fistful, excuse me, yeah, in the fistful of dollars, the first one. Um, I mean, you have the Rojas and the Baxters who are feuding. The Rojas are invested, you know, as the devil figures. I mean, they set the house on fire. The one woman curses him as the devil um, he, the, the, the one Rojas, the main one, um, has kidnapped Marisol and is keeping her away from her son, uh, Jesus of all things. And of course it's Clint Eastwood who unifies them, who gets them back together. So it's the unification of Madonna and child Marisol Mary with Jesus or Jesus. So we have Clint Eastwood playing the Jesus figure. And then of course he gets wounded and he goes into the subterranean crypt and of course comes up, you know, resurrected. And can perform miracles. He can now block bullets. You know, he's using the iron plate and goes on to defeat the devil. So we have, again, this Christ imagery uh, going on in, in for a few dollars more, in fistful of dollars, excuse me. Then he goes to a fistful of dollars, uh, excuse me, for a few dollars more with Lee Van Cleef as the bounty hunter. Um, this one's a little more complex. Um, you have 
a lot of um, esoteric mnemonics going on with this, something known as the art of memory. Um, I'm going to skip over it. It's, it's a long take. You can read about it in the book. But then we go to the good, the bad, and the ugly. And this is, again, uh, more of the biblical imagery, more of the Christ imagery, um, where you have uh, <clears throat> Clint Eastwood as the you know Christ savior figure. You have Lee Van Cleef as the bad, the devil, um, who are battling for the soul of mankind, the ugly. Um, and this is uh, Eli Wallach. And, of course, he represents mankind. He's ugly. He's in a perpetual state of ugliness because of the fall of Eden, um, where Adam and Eve were cast out. And he's in a perpetual state of ugliness. So we have um, this perpetual battle going on um, between God and the devil, Clint Eastwood, for, for the soul of the ugly. Um, very, very interesting going on. I mean, you have, you know, imagery of, of Clint Eastwood. You know, when he's introduced, you have the angelic music behind him. He at the, towards the end he goes into the church and he gives the dying Confederate um, a cigar and his jacket, uh, you know, divine mercy. So we have um, a, a lot of Christ imagery going on in, in you know in this in this film as well. I'm going to wrap up the question just by saying there is some very also when you're dealing with um, the biblical story, we are by default dealing with astrological archetypes, and we have this in uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I'm going to hold it back. I want the people to read the book. Um, but we have a whole interplay going on of three houses of the Zodiac where you have Clint Eastwood as Jesus being Leo, the soul house of the sun, the sun god. We have um, Lee Van Cleef as uh, Set or Seth. This would be the house of Scorpio. Um, and then we have um, the, the Ugly would be Aquarius. Um, pay attention to the film when you watch Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Um, Eli Wallach is constantly in search of water or a water pitcher or a cantina. Um, and we have this imagery finally playing out at the end. I don't want to give it away, um, but it's a real interesting study when you get into the astrological archetypes uh, going on in the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'll just wrap up on this. Um, this imagery actually turns up again in, in another movie uh, made years later by a, another Roman, by a Roman Catholic filmmaker uh, named Martin Scorsese, who uses these exact same techniques this exact same, you know, Christian mysticism in a movie called The Gangs in New York. Um, you will find this parallel imagery going on uh, surrounding the Leonardo DiCaprio character and the uh, Daniel Day-Lewis character. Um, so what I would recommend is watch, you I mean, go watch the Dollars Trilogy. They're fantastic. Read the book, understand the symbolism. And then if you want to see this sort of being replayed out again, take a look at um, The Gangs in New York by Martin Scorsese, which is also a great film. Um, a lot of biblical imagery going on in that one as well. Yeah, it's so funny, um, Robert. When you actually kind of you've opened my eyes to this this whole you know way of looking at these films now, and um, you know I'm starting to look back at some of the films that I, I love, like for instance, like Gladiator. I could see now a lot of parallels there, and you know a, a lot of the the, uh, the storylines how that could be parallels to a lot of things as well. And it's just it's really opening my mind. Uh, to see how this same type of, like you said, template has been used over and over and over again, and it's successful. So why why break the you know you know why change the circle if it's working right? Just use it. Well, and- here's the thing. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. What, what's great though, though is what's fun. What's what's really the, the study for me is, is some of this stuff is so well hidden. Um, you know, you get into the characters of Harry Potter or Luke Skywalker or the Blondie in in you know in. Um, good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, where it's a little on its surface. I mean, you can kind of see the whole good light versus dark interplay, uh, things like that. 
I, I, you know, it, it, it's it's really interesting to see this stuff very, very well hidden. Hollywood does a good job at hiding this stuff. So, like, for example, I mean, we take the movie um, uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Let's look at the extraterrestrial invasion movie where um, Michael Rennie, uh, Klaatu, uh, comes down to Earth to save mankind from itself, uh, to teach mankind, you know, to stop engaging in tribal warfare. Um, you know, he comes down from the heavens like Jesus. To, to teach mankind to stop engaging in tribal warfare, to stop polluting the environment. I mean, what do they call him? They call him Carpenter, uh, Christ reference. Uh, we have in the Terminator, um, you know, the, 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 the only begotten son to be born sort of as a quasi-virgin, he's a time traveler, of Sarah O'Connor, uh, the, the only begotten son, John Connor, uh, to do battle and defeat the dark evil, you know, the darkness, the evil aliens, John Connor, J.C., Jesus Christ. Um, we have uh, the Green Mile, um, John Coffey, who can heal the sick, resurrect the dead, um, you know, dies for the sins of the South, John Coffey, J.C., Jesus Christ again. So um, uh, Superman, uh, Clark Kent, uh, you know, the only begotten son sent to mankind to save mankind from itself by using superpowers, resurrects the dead in the first one, below its lane, um, you know, does battle with Lucifer or Lex Luthor. Um, this imagery is very well hidden. It's uh, there. Um, and these guys know what they're doing. They know how to use it. And uh, it, it's really it, it's when you start peeling back the onion, you will really begin to understand, you know, to, 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 to quote Morpheus, to see how deep the rabbit hole goes. Um, <laughs> and that's one of those one of my motivations for writing these two books. And writing a third one. No, that's it's it's wonderful. I, I can't I can't agree more. Listen, um, uh, Cinema Symbolism Three is coming out, and I, I know you're you're in the process of uh, releasing that. What movies can we expect the listeners and readers uh, for you to cover this time around? Absolutely. Well, for starters, um, I'm writing this. This book is uh, this book is still a little ways away. Mm -hmm. uh, with all due respect, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is at least at least a year away. Um, the, the, more than that, probably there's a, there's a book that I'm going to probably have to start writing, which is going to take precedent over the other ones. Um, unfortunately I, I'm bound by a non-disclosure. I can't, I can't get into the specifics of this right now. It'll all come to light, but right now I, I just can't, I just can't talk about it. It's not, it's not just with you. It's with anybody. No, no, I understand. Um, I understand. But yeah, yeah. But with cinema symbolism three, yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk about, um, we're going to do in cinema symbolism two. I had a chapter on David Lynch. Um, there was more David Lynch material I wanted to cover, so we're going to re-pick that up. Um, in, in Cinema Symbolism 2, it was, it was originally supposed to be in Cinema Symbolism 1, um, but I, I couldn't put it in. So in Cinema Symbolism 2, I had a chapter on David Lynch where I did Mulholland Drive, Lost Highway, uh, what's, what was the other one? Oh, Dune and um, Blue Velvet. I wanted to do Twin Peaks, and of course they just redid Twin Peaks. So we're going to do that in Cinema Symbolism 3, also with like a racer head, uh, the one with Laura Dern in the cage uh, that's um, wild at heart. So, so we're going to do more David Lynch. Uh, we're going to do more Walt Disney. Um, I had a chapter in Walt Disney in Cinema Symbolism 2. Again, you know, I, I'm only limited. I can't, I can't cover every Disney movie. So we're going to do some more Walt Disney in Cinema Symbolism 3. Um, there is a very, um, a very interesting movie that came out um, in the late 1940s uh, called The Red Shoes. Um, a lot of esoteric imagery in this. We're going to be talking about that movie. Um, I'm going to be breaking down the, the last two Star Wars movies. Rogue One and uh, the the last one, Episode Seven, called The Force Awakens. Naturally, I haven't seen Episode Eight yet, The Last Jedi. 
Um, we hopefully, maybe I haven't seen it yet, so hopefully that'll have some esoteric imagery. Until I see it, I won't know. Um, you know, and it usually takes more than one viewing anyway. So if, if that's if, if it's anything like the other ones, uh, it should. Um, so yeah, we're going to definitely do episode seven in Rogue One. So those are uh, some of the movies uh, we're going to take on. Um, I haven't seen the movie, but I know it's um, overloaded. I mean, I've talked to people who have who. Um, you know, or into Gnosticism and said, oh, Sullivan, you got to check out this one. Um, this movie with Jennifer Lawrence called Mother. Um, I am told that this is overloaded with esoteric symbolism. Uh, this is Darren Aronofsky, so this would not surprise me at all. Um, I'm going to do a, a section of in, in Cinema Symbolism 3. I'm going to do, um, you know, one, 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 in, in earlier in the show, we talked about Gnosticism. Um, this is a very popular subject. You know, I, I, I touched on things like The Matrix or The Truman Show or Fight Club. I'm going to get into some much more deeper Gnostic films. And I'm, I'm contemplating just doing a whole chapter on Gnostic cinema. Um, we're going to do movies such as Metropolis, Fritz Lang. Um, we're going to do uh, Dark City, uh, Snowpiercer, uh, the Lego movie. Uh, these all have uh, Gnostic elements in them, so we're going to do some of that. So, yeah, this, this is just some of the films that will be going on inside of Cinema Symbolism 3. A whole lot more, of course. Um, this book is being outlined, written by me. I'm quite literally, Will, when I tell you I'm working on four or five projects at once. So I'm just happy that Packed with the Devil comes out tomorrow. And, um, you know, you know, right now, you know, it'll just be uh, working and then uh, see, see what comes out next. Yeah, you seem to be a very, very busy individual. So, you know, I again, I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to come on our show. And again, to, um, tomorrow, well, actually, you'll be hearing this on Wednesday, December the 6th. So yesterday, uh, A Pack with the Devil will be out for everybody to read. Please uh, check that out. Robert Sullivan, A Pack with the Devil. Um, if you get a, a chance to please uh, check that uh, that uh, novel out, um, I definitely uh, would uh, recommend it by just, you know, just by the utter research that robert does i can only imagine what a piece of fiction that he could uh, probably conjure up um robert if you could give um all our listeners you know information where they can get some more of robert sullivan in their life please if you could yeah absolutely uh will the easiest place to find me is uh just go to my website uh my name my full name is robert w sullivan the fourth um so that's my website it's uh www robert w sullivan and then the letter I, the letter V for the fourth Roman numeral. So it's www.robertwsullivanivy.com. Uh, there are links there to buy all the books. Um, Royal Arch of Enoch, the two movie books, Packed with the Devil, links there. There's information about me, my biography, uh, links to my social media. Follow me on Twitter. I have a YouTube channel um, where I have tons of archived interviews, uh, videos I produced. Um, I have playlists with tons, literally hundreds of hours probably of interviews talking about movies, Freemasonry. This content is all 100% free. You can check all that out. Um, links to, like I said, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook. I have an events and appearance page um, where I have post, um, you know, uh, you know, upcoming live events. I also have a media page where I put up podcasts, pre-recorded podcasts that I've done, such as this one. Uh, this will also go into my blog. Um, so you're going to want to check that out. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's all there. I have, it, it's constantly being updated with news, um, events that I'm going to be doing, appearances, live appearances. Um, go, go, just go to my website. Links to buy the books. Like I said, it's pretty easy to navigate. Uh, the website is www.robertwsullivaniv.com. Uh, just go there. You know, follow the links. Um, you know, buy the book. Follow the social media. Listen to the interviews. Check out the news section. You know, events and appearances. It's all right there. www.robertwsullivaniv.com. 
Wonderful. Robert, listen, I would definitely love to have you come back on the uh, the podcast here to promote any new stuff that you have coming out. I love all the, the, the information that you put out there. And I do appreciate you taking the time again for coming on our podcast. Well, let me say this. Well, thank you for having me on Dark Fringe uh, Radio. I really appreciate you having me on. And absolutely, um, I will keep you informed and any... Um, you know, you know, new projects uh, I have coming out. We can do a podcast on it. Certainly, um, this is my first time on your show. If you wanted to ever go back in time, we could certainly do a show on Freemasonry, the Royal Arch of Enoch. I leave that entirely up to you. Certainly, I don't want to cannibalize your podcast. But um, yeah, any, anytime you need a guest or anything, just reach out to me. It was a pleasure being with you tonight, uh, being on your show, Dark Fringe Radio. And again, I, it's much appreciated. And uh, I appreciate you inviting me on. It was uh, great to be here. Yes. Thank you again. And yes, you read my mind. Uh, the next time I'm, I want to dwell into the Freemasonry world and you're going to be the first person I, I contact regarding that. So again, thank you so much, Robert, for uh, coming on Dark Fringe Radio. And I hope everybody uh, has a chance to see you know Mr. Robert Sullivan's work at robertsullivaniv.com. Please uh, check out all his work there. A Pack with the Devil comes out uh, by the time you hear this yesterday, December 5th. And then uh, Cinema Symbolism 1 and 2, please also check those out. And then Cinema Symbolism 3 will be coming out in the near future. So, uh, again, I want to give thanks to Robert Sullivan coming on the show. That's Dark Fringe Radio for tonight. Thanks so much, guys. Ah!